0: Coming up, in episode 11 of the Soul Ally Podcast, we have internationally known intuitive counselor, psychic, and author, Teresa Carroll.
1: My husband went out got my suitcase out of the car. I hadn't realized they packed my suitcase. Mm. And I was just emotionally devastated. I was very young. I think I was 27. Mm. My baby was only nine months old, oh. and my oldest child was just about 20 months older than that and so I just felt like my babies how do I keep them safe what's wrong with me have I gone crazy is this hereditary what can I do has something evil gotten hold of me I had so much fear so much and everyone in my family was treating me like I was something really strange really weird and yet the spiritual messages, the people that came around me in the spiritual were very comforting, they're very low-key, very reassuring. but I was still frightened
0: because of my own belief system. Welcome to the Soul Ally Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Evia. I'm an intuitive digital marketer and Reiki master entrusted with all the clairs. From my own spiritual awakening and discovering the courage to use my gifts, I bring you world-altering metaphysical entrepreneurs equally impassioned to share their wisdom with you. Hello, and thank you for being here. Our guest today is Teresa Carroll. She's an internationally known psychic, counselor, and author. She's traveled to over 29 countries to study with shamans, healers, and masters. Her life is devoted to empowering people, and she sees clients both in person in the Pacific Northwest and online. Teresa, thank you so much for being here. Teresa has a story. <laughs> she has a a. She has a story, and I'm going to let Teresa share that with you guys today. Um, It really comes down to her experience and what she's chosen to do with that now moving forward. But it can be scary in the metaphysical world to want to lean into your gifts. There's a lot of real-life fears out there for those who don't understand us. Uh, Teresa, you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah. Well, I was a young mother. I had just had my second child. And I found out I had terminal cancer. The doctor basically said, uh, go home, write your will, say your goodbyes. We're gonna try to get you stabilized and then we'll do surgery. If we can't get all the cancer out, you really don't have much time. Um, I had cancer of the colon and severe peritonitis and they were having a hard time. I just kept passing out. I was bleeding very heavily. Uh, through my colon, and it it was just, it was a mess, and um, he sent me home, and Mm. a a number of different things happened, but one of the most remarkable things was, is that I, um, I woke up one day, and I was just paralyzed on the Sunday, and I didn't know what to do, so we called the doctor, and he said, well, either bring her down to the hospital, or there's a chiropractor in town that has good, reviews take her over there so they put me on a uh they took the door off and they laid me on the door they put me in the back of the truck and they took me to the chiropractor and he laid me on the table and he was of Baha'i faith and he took a tuning fork and he went down my spine and he told me I'd had two children that I had cancer of the colon he told me all these things that he shouldn't know and I Christian at the time a little uncomfortable with the fact that he was of this Baha'i faith it was like mm-hmm. what's that am, mm-hmm. am I okay to be talking to this man I had a lot of superstitions and fears in those days and so he, he said if you change your diet and learn to meditate you can heal your life oh. and that was before Louise Hayes and you can heal your life and it was like I broke down and I sobbed. I didn't realize how miserable my life was. Mm -hmm. And I've since come to understand that dissatisfaction, um, discomfort, dis-ease in the spiritual and the emotional will lead to physical disease in the body. And Mm -hmm. so his wife started making me a macrobiotic diet of rice and he made some adjustments and I started learning to meditate, and out of that came an incredible experience where I was standing on the side of a mountain, and I thought, I'm going to end it, I can't deal with this, my husband is not being agreeable, Mm -hmm. no longer my husband, (laughs) (laughs) and I just, I couldn't couldn't deal with it, I, I was just at my wits' ends, and so I started talking to God, and I started screaming at God. And I Mm. said, you know, I've been a good person. I've I've kept all the commandments. I've done everything the Christian faith asks of me. And now this is my reward. This is not fair. Mm. Uh, Don't yell at God. You get immediate answers. (laughs) I had a, a vision. It was just like, poof, I was in the middle of this big circle of men. And they were all men. That was the amazing thing was why were they all men? But they surrounded me and there was a pillar between each of them. And on the top, there was what I now understand is a lit crystal. At the time, I thought it was like a ice flame mm-hmm. and and they were all chanting and they were of different um, ethnic backgrounds because I could hear Spanish, I could hear French, other languages I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the man right in front of me, he looked like Moses. He said, holy, holy, holy is the name of the Lord God of hosts. If you would serve God, you will live an extraordinary life. Well, my Christian background made me go, uh, which God? (laughs) Like, like There's more than one God, right? (laughs) But it was. I was very superstitious in that day. I was very limited mm-hmm. in my perceptions of the world. I knew God through what people told me, not a direct connectedness at that mm-hmm. point in my life. And so because of that fear, I qualified it. I said, well, I already am a Christian. Mm-hmm. And the man shook his head and he said, no, Christ gave you the gift of salvation. What? Are you choosing to give to God? And so I made a commitment that day in that moment that my life was God's. And I went down to the hospital. They had gotten me stabilized, but they still hadn't done the surgery. They I went down to get the surgery, and they started running tests to prepare. And they said, "What? Well, you're healed? What happened?" And in that moment, I, I knew that I was truly connecting in with God. And I started seeing almost immediately auras and people that weren't there, <laughs> that would walk through walls, guides and radiant beings that would come up to me, people that I knew had passed over. And it was just, it was extraordinary. It was all like all of this uh, phenomena. And I was scared. I was really, really scared. Mm. And of course, my family—they thought I drank the Kool-Aid. It was mm-hmm. like you got involved with some wrong people. Mm-hmm. You're this is not real. This is not. Um, this is not Christian. You can't do this. Mm. And so my husband took my children from me. And basically, I allowed it because I was scared too. I didn't know what to think. There was nobody to talk to. There was nobody to help me understand this. And so then my um, the mom and my husband took me up to Seattle to a big hospital up there. And they checked me in. And I was going through an assessment with a sutra. And he was assessing me to see what my problems were, and I was being committed, basically. Mm.
0: Did you know that there. you were being committed?
1: Not going up there. Okay, <laughs> okay, yeah. I. He walked in, and, and my mom and my husband are going, like, we need to do something. We've got to stabilize you. We've got to get you back. And so, um, so they walked me into this, and my husband went out and got my suitcase out of the car, I hadn't even realized they packed my suitcase. Mm. And I was just emotionally devastated. I was very young. I think I was 27.
0: Mm.
1: My baby was only nine months old. And my oldest child was just about 20 months older than that. And so I just felt like, my babies, how do I keep them safe? What's wrong with me? Have I gone crazy? Is this hereditary, what can I do? Has something evil gotten a hold of me? I had so much fear, so much, and everyone in my family was treating me like I was something really strange, really weird. And yet the spiritual messages, the people that came around me in the spiritual were very comforting, they're very low key, They're mm-hmm. very reassuring, but I was still frightened because of my own belief system. Yeah. And my family's response. Mm -hmm. So they left and I'm there at this hospital and the psychiatrist puts me in a room and he gives me pages and pages and pages of a questionnaire to answer. And so I'm sitting there, I'm doing this kind of assessment thing. And I look up and there's this mirror that I know immediately is a two way mirror and I could see through and I can see him. He's taken off his suit jacket, he's put on a lightweight sweater, and he's smoking one of those tipperillos, you know, the black brown um, cigarettes. And he's smoking it, looking at me through this two-way mirror. And I looked up, I saw him there, and suddenly I knew that his son was hurt. I said, Oh, your your son, he's been hurt, but they can't find you for permission to take him to the hospital. They can't find his mom. They're calling and calling, and they, they have to have permission to transport them. They have to have permission to take him to the medical. Um, you've got to call the school.
0: <sighs>
1: and then I went really, really small because I thought, oh, God, I am sick. They're going to commit me.
0: So here you are being committed, and you're still trying to help and deliver the messages. That is, I just have to interject and say, one, you have a beautiful heart. Ah. Well, thank you. Um, Thank you. So
1: about, it seemed like 15 minutes later, he came out and he sat down on the table right next to, in fact, he sat on the papers I was writing on, I remember how. Upset I was. It was like, he's messing up the papers. You can't do that. <laughs> Where our priorities go. Anyway, uh, he said, what just happened? And I I thought, well, I might as well be honest if I'm going to get some help. And then I realized he had the sweater on and he smelled like smoke. Mm. So I told him, I said, I just saw your son like on um, monkey bars or something. He looked like he was about eight nine years old, maybe third grader, and he nodded, and I said, I saw him fall, and he's got a compound uh, fracture to his leg and one to his arm, and I said, he needs immediate help, or this is going to be a really serious thing. Well, I said, quite a bit more than that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my job to diagnose, right? So, um, he looked at me, and he said, well... I've got to go. My son will be coming in here very shortly in the ambulance. He said, you're not sick. He says, you're emotionally distraught. You're very emotionally distraught, but you are a true psychic. I would love the opportunity Mm -hmm. to study you. Mm. And so he then said, um, go find somebody to study with. Go find somebody who can teach you what this is all about and develop this ability because you're remarkable. Oh. And here I am up in Seattle and I lived in a place called Eatonville at the time. <laughs> Eatonville! <laughs> 90, 90, um, 90 minute journey to get home. And I'm yeah. there without a car. Oh no. <laughs> so I had to call my dad and said, daddy, <laughs> help. Mm-hmm. So he took me home. But it was the end of my marriage. Um, My husband and my mother made arrangements that my children shouldn't be with me. They thought that I was really crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. Almost everybody I knew dropped me like a hot potato. Mm They
0: didn't
1: associate with me. Uh, I went through two uh, exorcisms. I had a friend call me up one day and say she was really scared for me. Could I come down after work? So I drove down after working all day. And I walked in. They grabbed me. They tied me in a chair. They started reading the Bible. They started flailing with um, kind of uh, plant life. (laughs) It was branches of stuff. They started beating on me, screaming at me, repent, repent. Say that Satan is in you. Cast him out. Cast him out. And it was horrific. It was like, I'm not a bad person. I'm who I always want. But now that I've given my life to God, <laughs> this isn't the extraordinary I was thinking of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But as it went through, I struggled probably the first two or three years of what do I do with this? And mm-hmm. because the psychiatrist said, go find somebody. It was like, he was the authority. He knew. I was okay. I just needed to find someone. So I ended in a place that no longer is there. It was the uh, Psychic Energy Center in Tacoma, Washington on 72nd Street. And Ruth Soderstrom had been featured in Ruth Montgomery's uh, Here and Hereafter, one of those books. Ruth Montgomery was a very well-known psychic writer back, I think, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and very well-known, kind of a a lead into metaphysics. And she featured the owner of the Psychic Energy Center, uh, Ruth Soderstrom, as a walk-in, which is somebody who kind of shares their body, that they start out their life being the navigator in the body, and then at some time, the pilot leaves, and the the navigator slides into the pilot's spot. Basically, there's a lot of writing about it, but um, she had started this psychic energy center to help people like myself who were waking up psychically and had no spiritual Mm -hmm. um, support system. Nobody who would even believe them much less, be comfortable and help support them. Mm -hmm. So I ended up there. Um, Because, you know, back in those days, you picked up the yellow pages and looked in the book. (laughs) And that was the only psychic thing in the book was psychic energy center. And it, it was a godsend because everybody was amazed with what I could do. They would ask me something. And immediately I could do it. Um, We tipped tables, which was kind of fun back in those days. We banned spoons and forks. In fact, I have one over here that I just did for somebody to show how it's done. Uh, We we learned to run the uh, kinetic energy. We we channeled guides, we did all sorts. It was so much fun. Right in the midst of my husband leaving me and taking the children away from Mm. me and my mother saying she never wanted to see me again because there was something evil in me. Mm. And I've never been evil. I know that now. What got me out of the doubt and the feeling of fear and inadequacy was one day I was praying and I picked up the Bible and I opened it and the verse was by the fruit they bear you shall know them. Mm. And I made sure at that moment that the only fruit I bear would be compassion and assistance for other human beings. And that was
0: 35, 37 years ago. That's amazing. You know, I think a lot of people who will be listening to this and are listening to this, to clear my voice because I'm supposed to speak this, (laughs) is that... So I grew up in the Christian faith as well. And I was told all growing up that psychics are evil, that, you know, you never know what spirit you're actually, they can deceive you and all of that. And it's just evil and you don't go there. And so I was taught that I was evil and that was evil if I expressed or spoke it. And I think a lot of people who grew up in a religious background can, so it's, it's scary to embody that, to step into who you are and these amazing God-given gifts that we have been put in our hands and entrusted with. How do you heal that part? I mean, my family is so much a part of of my life and those relationships, I mean, having them disappear and disown and and not not support you in this new journey. How do you heal that? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, the interesting thing is almost everybody's come around in their lives. They've had experiences that have brought them to a place where they're now willing to look to me because it's kind of like I'm um, the trailblazer. Oh, Teresa will probably understand she went through this or she understood, <laughs> you know, um, it's amazing. Uh, little by little people, not everybody. There's a, a couple people that I love with all my heart that still think poorly of me but they've never gotten to know me so I just I just accept that is what it is and and keep moving forward but um, there was something that one of my guides helped me with not too long ago in fact I wrote it on my blog on my website and it was um, sorry I got this buzzing sound over here that's okay (laughs) Um, and that was what on earth was god thinking
0: mm.
1: and when i talked to the guides the guides helped us through the earth changes they gave us some extraordinary uh, information i am a trance channel so i do speak with the guides a lot this one guide said to me that in the beginning there was nothing but god all that was was god and then god had a thought and that came into being mm. And with the breath of God, it came into aliveness or having individual self-perpetuating evolving. And so I was thinking, well, what was God thinking when he created me? Mm. You know how we get into, oh, I'm a little too fluffy. Oh, Mm. I've got wrinkles here. Um, I said the wrong thing. I I didn't think of somebody else. And we get into this kind of self criticism and that thought came to me was what was God thinking when he was thinking me and so I started kind of exploring that because I could see with each of my children and each of my friends exactly what God was thinking wow and so I started looking and the more that I saw myself as the creation of God a divine thought the less I was worried about what I did and the more that I aligned myself with that that energy or that place of beingness and it's like how can you criticize a tree I mean yeah there's aphids and there's uh, bacteria and there's uh, imbalance in some ways but it's a tree it's beautiful how can you criticize a dog you know it might be a little aggressive or bark too much but isn't it beautiful and it's like I am a creation, just like the tree, the dog, the sky. So if I criticize me, I'm criticizing God. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, oh, this particular art project you were working on, let's put that in the trash. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That that doesn't work, Mm -hmm. that doesn't work. And so whenever I start feeling like, why is this this way? Or, oh my God, it's like, you promised an extraordinary life. I have had an amazing life. I mean, I've been to 30 countries and worked with shamans and healers. I've met the Pope twice, two different Popes. <laughs> and I've just, the life I've had, I mean, if I wrote about it, people would think it was all made up because it's just so extraordinary. It's so over the top. Every day there's a miracle or a magic moment. Every day there's a connection. Um, things happen And so it's like, okay, whatever happened with my family was meant to happen because I needed to have compassion for other people to be able to, when somebody told me that they lost their children, not say, oh, well, did you try this or did you try that? But to connect in with their pain and to know their pain and to guide them through that pain instead of saying, well, any mother who would let her children go isn't a very good mother, mm-hmm. which is what I always hear. People always say that to me. I chose that my children would be safe, and I never stopped loving them. But mm-hmm. it, it went sideways on me, but I think it's made me a more gracious, a less possessive, and a more compassionate person.
0: Mm, I love that. We're here not to be perfect, but for experience. Reiki healers know <clears throat> what needs to be healed in someone else because they feel it in an area that they experienced within themselves. Same goes for the best readers and, and, and psychics and mediums. So you know, I know it's, it's so hard, though. I'm sure that there was some anger and some rage and some broken pieces tied to those relationships. How did you, how did you forgive them? Well, that's the interesting thing. Um,
1: You know, I touch other people so I feel what they feel. I'm an empath. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I was studying in Canada with the Anderson uh, Native Americans, I I met some of the Anderson elders and we talked quite a bit and I studied with them quite a bit. And they told me that the gift that I have is called soul touch. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so they what I realize is that when I touch into other people, they have feelings that for some reason I don't have. And um, I don't feel possessive, which, you know, I touch into my sisters and, and I feel their need to protect and to be right, you know, have their children with them or have their children's response. But I'm more of, I feel them in a different way. I feel them as individuals and I'm joyful to be included in their life and I want to be supportive of them. But it's like it's not my place to take over or try to improve their life, but rather to support them in what they're choosing. So I don't have, for some reason, it's never come up, a possessive or a jealous or an angry nature. And I think it's because I'm empathic. I feel what they feel. And when you're in someone else's feelings, they're totally justified to feel what they feel. Mm -hmm. They're totally being true to their own nature. It's like I know where they're coming from, what they're feeling. I can't judge them. Mm. I can just be aware of, wow, this is sad for me and I'm hurting, but I see why they feel that and I support them in in where they are and what they're believing even though it may be counterproductive to myself i've learned over the years to be more and more respectful of myself but in my younger age it was like i just felt sad a lot very deep <clears throat> sad which was irritating to my family because they would say oh, you're so pathetic, quit it. I would be fine until I'd come around them and then the great loss that I felt would just overpower and overshadow everything. But it's made me strong. I I feel in my life, I've transcended myself several, several times and become the person I would choose to be. That I can be present, I can be connected, and I can be supportive
0: and yet I can let everybody see what God was thinking. Mm, I love that. So when you went to that center and started working on your own gifts and, and embodying them, what made you realize that you wanted to take that take that knowledge and, and those gifts and use them as a profession?
1: I, I shake my head because I, it took me years to put it into it. <laughs> 20, pe- 20 behind division vision or whatever they call that it was like the moment that Ruth said you have a natural gift um, I'd like you to work at the student reader fair and I worked my first fair <laughs> you're going to love this April Fool's Day <laughs> 85 was my first professional day I worked at a psychic fair as a student reader I was three <laughs> Uh, I think I was 30. I'd have to go. Yeah, I think I was 30 then. And so that was my very first psychic fair. And it blew me out of the water. People would come, I would take their hand. I'd read 27 books on palmistry. I'm one of those people when I get interested in something, I have to master it. So I had, I had found palmistry and I had to understand palmistry. So I read 27 books. And so this was my chance to show off. Okay. (laughs) I'm a real person. I mean, oh boy, I'm going to show them that I know this, but it was amazing because my empathy overrode my ego. -hmm. Because I would touch somebody, I'd start to talk about the lines and the awarenesses would come and then I find I would feel what that person was feeling and where they were and what was keeping them stuck and what they needed. And so I would address that. Well, at the end of the night I had done like thirty-eight readings in one day. That was my first my debut, right? That's a lot. Everybody came back and said to Ruth she's extraordinary. She has the gift. She really has the gift. Well, a psychologist already told me that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, um, Ruth immediately promoted me to a reader. And what I found was just people came out of the woodwork. Anybody walked in the door was in the dilemma of, I'm scared to death to be here. Are you all a bunch of charlatans? But something's happening to me and nobody understands what do I do? How do I find my sanity? And I would sit with them, do a little mini reading, and then the next person and the next person. So it's like spirit, or God, however you want to look at that, um, send everybody to me. And it was. that's when I came up with my mission statement, helping individuals help themselves through intuitive insights and helping individuals is if somebody didn't want help, all the advice, all the insights I gave, it was like trying to give somebody alcohol and they didn't want to drink it. It's like
0: Mm, yelling at a wall. Yes.
1: (laughs) So is it? No, no, no cigarettes for me. Um, It was like that people would just rebel against it. So I finally said, I only want to work with people that really are ready to help themselves and that are really in a place where that they're not, everything doesn't have to be logical. that they can just be present. And if it feels comfortable, just take that next step.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. Well, you know, and I think a lot of us, and me included, I want something to happen and I'm going to put my, heels down and my head down and I'm going to force it, right? I'm going to do everything I can. And if that doesn't work, then I'm going to try it again and again and again. It's like banging your head against a wall, but if it's supposed to be, and you're in alignment with, it will unfold. So how do we trust that process if we're called to do this? Well, primarily
1: is get a support system of some sort because it, It's gotten so much better now than it was 35 years ago, 34, 35 years ago. Um, But it's still a place where, unless you can kind of process it, unless you can see it in a more objective, uh, infinite perspective, it does become very overwhelming and it does become something that you think, did I just make that up? Um, Did I just destroy somebody's life? What what am I thinking here? And so for me, it was um, the first part of the support was education. I went off and got (laughs) five college degrees (laughs) because I couldn't. People would come to me and I would think they need counseling or they need new skills or they need to understand escrow or they need to understand money management or relationship skills and it's like, well that's what you need. Good luck with that. <laughs> I I I don't I don't like just kind of I like to be able to give um some pointers. I like to give references, referrals, things like that. So I don't want somebody to walk away saying, uh, now where do I go? I want them to go away with a chore list that says, if I'm really serious about this, this is step one, two, three, four. And when I'm done with that, it'll either self-reveal or I'll go back and see Teresa and she'll give me step five, six, seven, and eight. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I approach it is helping people create that support system so Mm -hmm. they're not alone in it. Um, One of my things is I've got friends that when I'm I'm just feeling like, oh, this is crazy, I can't deal with it. Then I just call them up and say, coffee, anyone? (laughs) Yeah. we don't talk clients but we talk situations Mm -hmm. you know we don't say mary jane said such and such we say i met this woman and she she has a situation it's just i'm i'm just sitting in it and the feelings are so intense help me through this or Mm -hmm. what do you get and sometimes it's that we do some of the floor and shin work sometimes we do the course in miracles. Mm-hmm. one of my favorite is Wayne Dyer and change your thoughts, change your life Yes of the doubt
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then there's always Penelope Rushnoff who's who's tried and true, and that is when am I going to be happy, which is really about looking at your behaviors and how you're creating your own unhappiness. And pretty soon we're we're talking positive, we're raising each other's energies, we're getting all excited about okay and then we're back at it and it's mm-hmm. so intense but there are moments that you can buy into feeling like somebody's a victim and you can't do that as a mm-hmm. society because when two or more hold something it becomes a truth and so if i believe that somebody's a victim and they believe it i'm i'm creating it for them
0: mm-hmm. not
1: that i have the power to make their life work they have that power yeah. But I'm not, I'm not holding the space that allows them Mm. to make different selections. I'm like saying, you're right, you are.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: There you go. Suck it up. And that's not okay. So um, I have to keep myself positive. I have to believe in miracles. I have to experience miracles. Because when somebody tells you something that rips your heart out, Mm -hmm. then who do you tell? Uh, Your deepest, your darkest secret. Who's Probably the last person a person in pain or a person in conflict will go to is the psychic because mm-hmm. they go to the doctor, they go to their family, they go to their friends, they may even go to a counselor, and then when nothing is working, they ask the psychic, is there hope? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to just say, yep, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. I want to say, yes. Let's look at this, let's open it up, and let's begin to create a plan that you want to work, and it is your life, and let's, let's see what you need to go, where you need to go, what you need to learn, what you want to do, and that's when I become the navigator, and that's when I make this difference. I don't change people's lives, they change their own lives on their support
0: system. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, you know, I met you when I was coming and emerging, if you will, from a dark period, same with Linda and and Jody, who also uh, frequent crystal spirit quite often. (laughs) And, uh, you know, one thing that was difficult for me to grasp a few years ago was, you know, I was the victim period. That's how I felt. That's what I believed. That was my reality. And yeah, really crappy things happened. And finding my way through that to the now, I've realized, and I know this is gonna be hard for a lot of you who are listening to Swallow, so chew on it, sit with it, <laughs> is that there? there is no such thing as a victim. There are experiences. We choose to come in and have them. Just like mentioned earlier, we are not here to be perfect. We're here to have these experiences. And so if we choose to have them, what are we learning from? How are we evolving and where are we going to end up? Which is why that psychic and that medium and that reader or whoever it is, that energetic worker that you turn to for those answers can help be that channel and that conduit to reveal the way. Well spoke. What I, I
1: see, I just, I love the tarot. I studied the tarot. I've pretty much made my own (laughs) book, my own deck. One day I'll get those out there too. But uh, one of the things is the hanged man. It's a wonderful picture. There's a man hanging out in the middle of a field. Nobody's around. He's hanging upside down. He normally has one hand free and one leg free. So, you know, with one hand free and one leg free, you can pretty much know it's either the bonds aren't holding well or he's being able he has the ability to loosen himself but he's normally over water and water is uh, metaphysically a representation of feelings and so when he breaks free he's going to fall into his feelings into mm. water. now often he's got a spider web in his beard a bird's nest in his hair so you know he's been there for a while The the deer are grazing in the foreground so you know he's been a long time you know <laughs> and the card is to say yes you can have a situation that victimizes you but you maintain it by not getting yourself out of it mm. now if you look at james wandless tarot the fool has one leg Pegged out there, and the others he's got one like free. But the way that James puts it, he says, when the that card turns over, the person is stepping out of the victim reality, stepping forward. So when you when I see that, I think of yes, we all have situations that victimize us. We all have tornadoes and hurricanes and blizzards, and mm-hmm. it's part of the natural cycle of things. But we maintain it or we step out of it mm-hmm. that's choice and one thing i have discovered is that this world is about choice we always have freedom of choice whether it's the choice that if we're you know starving in africa of whether we can celebrate our aliveness and scrounge the food we need and and deal the best we can with what we have Or whether we lay down and feel sorry for ourselves and sad and allow ourselves to continually feel the victim. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I know this incredible young man who lived through the the whole African encampment, uh, running around, scrounging food, having his family murdered in front of him. And yet, when he talks about what he experienced, there's a sadness and a soul-rendingness that makes you want to sob and yet he talks about the play the adventure the I mean he was alive at the same time he was really alive even though he suffered mm-hmm. and i think that's the perspective we sometimes miss is that if we're here now and we have life we need to choose to live regardless of the circumstances, Mm -hmm. to seek that aliveness, to make the best of any situation so that when we look back, we don't say, oh yeah, my whole life was crap and I suffered and played the victim, the whole thing, because it does become a role that we play, a performance that we do instead of being present and taking the moment, being joyful and celebrating, wow, maybe I don't have enough money to pay my bills but this tea feels great my girlfriend is laughing and witty and I've got a friend who believes in me and if I get desperate we'll just move in with her right (laughs) but my life works my life is magical I, I have lived on a shoestring most of my life but I have had I have had the best of everything. People come over and say, boy, you must be a bridge. Look at this. Look at that. But it's because I use the laws of manifestation and everything I desire comes to me in abundance and joy. And it's thoughts are real things and they do create our reality. Mm -hmm. And if we're focused on what makes us miserable and makes us feel lacking, that's what we have. I just focus on the abundance the magic of God in my life, the mystery of people and their personalities and their craziness. And I just keep choosing to be alive and to
0: play and life is magical. Mm, I love that. So can you articulate, and this may be a very silly question or a difficult question to answer and put into steps, how someone can manifest the right clients to come to them and and a healthy and lucrative business growth in this line of work? Well, the the very
1: first thing is to be realistic. Um, Plan for a miracle. (laughs) 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 To be realistic means that you keep your overhead down and your exposure large. So you've got to put yourself out there, whether you do events, whether you do uh, networking, whether you go online and have a website whether you have a storefront it's it's better when you first begin to associate with someone who has high integrity good reputation so that when people see you with them they think this is quality you will be quality so that's one of the most important thing is giving yourself the exposure but don't get your financial overhead so high that it just makes it all crash that's mm-hmm. the biggest mistake people make is they're they're going to have this business and they put all the money into the storefront and nobody comes so you know it's kind of like grow the business see it mm-hmm. as a little seed pop that maybe starts an association with someone else and and then let it grow through word of mouth and reputation and association with people of integrity um The other is, I call it whistle while you work, make a decision that you joyfully give of yourself. That this is not a chore or a job, but this is something that you have passion and that you really wanna do. Because what you appreciate, what you celebrate, you make more of. So if you're enjoying being with people, helping people, then it's like the universe goes, oh, you like that? I'll bring you another. I'll bring you another. How about twice as much? So if you're complaining that it's drudgery, it's hard work, guess what? The universe Mm. is going to look at you and say, maybe this is not where you want to be. So really look at where your mindset is, uh, where you prefer to be, and when it's your business, you can create it how you want it. You don't have to conform to how someone else is done it. You mm-hmm. can you know within ethics and within legal, you can pretty much do what you want when it's your business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but you know, for me, every time I sit down to work with clients, I do two things. One, I just kind of do an inward prayer and say, "God." Keep me out of ego. Keep me out of thinking I know more than someone else. They know everything they need to know. Let me validate that and cheerlead and support them and maybe give them some strategies for that success. But let me be respectful. Mm. And then I run my energy, ground and set the energy so I keep it positive and I don't get pulled down. And then I create a gold hoop that I, I create And I move divine energy through it. It's like, God, connect up with us. And then I put a breakaway cord for myself and a breakaway cord for my client. So when they come in, they're pulling from divine energy, not from my energy. Mm -hmm. Meeting in that golden circle, that safe, sacred place. And so I just take and I just ask whatever needs to happen. Let me not be attached to what I do. I mean... Most of the time I could just sit there and file my nails if I wanted to. (laughs) It's like, whatever needs to happen just does because I show up and I put it in God's hands. Mm -hmm. And then I I just listen. And when we're done, I break away. That person still is connected into the divine light, but I'm not carrying their problem. They're not draining my energy afterwards. And when the day is done and I count up my money, and I count up the people that came, I say, sweet it is, how sweet it (laughs) is. And I express that appreciation, because I'm doing something I want to do, it's lucrative. And the more appreciation we give for something, the more the universe brings it right over.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, gratitude is very powerful. What we
1: focus on becomes our reality. I had an angel, that's kind of a crazy story, but um, after I saw the psychiatrist, I was looking for something to help me learn about metaphysics, and it was back 19, must have been 1983, 83 or 84, and the New Times was out with Krista Gibson, she's awesome, Um, I think she's the New Spirit Journal or something now, but she's a... Uh, she is the publisher of this. And so I was going through the rag sheet trying to find a class or something to take to kind of make me more familiar with metaphysics. And there was this ad in there. Now, this is like 1984. $100 was like 500 today. a day. And there was this ad that said um, that I could meet an angel. Mm-hmm. And because I was so born again... I mean, the birthing process had done a little brain damage, I think. But <laughs> it was like, I was just like rigid in that I needed to be Christian in how I approached the metaphysics. Okay. And so I thought, well, an angel is godlike. That'll be okay. That's not against my belief system at mm-hmm. the time. So I decided I would get that $100 and I would go to this place in Bellevue. So I got there and it was on the lake. And it was this posh home that must have been 400000 in that day and age, probably a million dollar home. <laughs> and I, I went in and there was this living room that was more than twice the size of my house. <laughs> it was like, whoa. And there were chairs all around and there must have been 30 to 50 people there sitting in the chairs. And they were all dressed out, um, people from Bellevue. And here I come in my little scruffy you know, I came to see an angel and everybody else is, you know, talking metaphysics. And it's like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And we sit in the circle. The hostess comes in. She's collected our money. And she says, okay, you get one question. Don't question it. Don't argue it. Listen. And then it's done. And don't interrupt with anybody else's reading. Do you all understand? Yeah. And then he was just there. He was right beside her. It was like I felt like I blinked and and he was teleported. He was just there. And so I'm watching him. And he started like two people over on my right-hand side and went around in a, a counterclockwise circle. And he, each person, he would ask a question. And the questions that I would think of, he would have the answer. It was very to the point mm-hmm. and so we're going through all these people and I don't have any questions left there's nothing I can think of and so he looked at me and I'm like looking at him and he says and I said tell me what is appropriate oh. and he looked at me and it was like he saw right through me and he said appreciation is always and that, it touched my soul in such a way. And I'll find sometimes when I'm floundering in life and I think, what should I do? How should I handle this? I'll hear his voice. Appreciation is always appropriate. Mm-hmm. He did the guy next to me. And then he was just gone. He just vanished. And to this day, I know he was a real angel. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way it impacted my soul and the way that I really, it it transformed something in my consciousness, transformed something in my spirit. It gave me a form of hope and it gave me a realization that we're not alone and that we need to not worry about the problems and the concerns, but to focus more on the appreciation of what is working and strive to have more of that in our
0: lives. Mm, brought a tear to my eyes, lady. <laughs> that was beautiful. The universe, God, source, whatever, whatever word you want to put on that, our Creator will give us what we ask for if we're ready to receive it, and that feels amazing. However, that is delivered to any of you that are listening. I love that you took it and and you used that and you you held on to it uh, because it's not always easy. Yeah. Well, it was worth the hundred dollars. <laughs> I love that it was in Bellevue. That's
1: hilarious. (laughs) It was was just, it was so trippy Mm because I was kind of like a little farm girl going up to Bellevue.
0: Bellevue, you guys, if you're not familiar with the Pacific Northwest, it is the ritzy part. (laughs) It's the the east side of Seattle and it is known to be where all the rich people live. (laughs) Yeah. So do you have... Do you have anything that you want to share, any message you want to give to our listeners right now?
1: I would say the thing that I would say is be happy. The Constitution of the United States says it is our right to pursue happiness. That's a constitutional right. And did you know that almost everybody I meet is busy justifying, explaining, and defending why they're unhappy? And I was mm-hmm. like, come on guys Change the page And Did you hear the drum? Mm. My drums always um, Talk when I say something Spiritually true <laughs> So it went boom And so um, be happy If you're not happy You have to realize You have a soul and you need to Feed your soul as much as you need to Feed your body Your pets It's like There is a maintenance to almost everything, house, car, body, relationships, and your soul. And so it's not buying into doing anything. It's a sense of presence. It's just making a choice that in this moment, I'm going to pull something that will make me have the feeling of happiness. And if we close our eyes and hold our breath and really cultivate the feeling of happiness we can bring it up in ourselves we can bring up the feeling of elation we can bring up the feeling of joy so take that moment and do that when you go to the bathroom and you have nothing better to do than sit there close your eyes and focus on happy and it may be that something pops into your head that i'd be really happy um To gift to my friend or I would be very happy just to have a walk in the park with my husband and once you have that thought then act on it but let the sense of being be more important than doing because when we practice presence we are more connected with all living beings and connected with the divine however we perceive the divine and as we make that connection as we begin to live that There's such a joy, there's such a happiness, there's such a sense of contentment, so that when people say, how you doing, my standard line is smiling, because most of the time I'm just amazed and astounded that after all of these years, life is so delightful and there's always a new miracle, there's always a new magic, there's always a new mystery. It's a joyful life. And it's that way because I chose not to play victim anymore, but to really seek out and pursue that happiness. And it's a great life.
0: Thank you for being here and listening to the full episode. If you want to hear more about how I intuitively work with the digital world, head to thesoulally.com. And let's connect on Instagram if you want daily mantras, divinely inspired words, channeled messages, and my coaching on how to leverage the digital age with integrity. That is currently my favorite social media platform, and I'm the most active each day. So drop me a line, Kristen Evia, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-V-J-E. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you have a wonderful day find some joy in it and if this episode resonated with you i would be grateful if you shared it with a friend give this podcast a review and a rating on itunes i would truly appreciate it it will help get the message of support and guidance out to the metaphysical community which honestly needs our love more than ever right now great things are happening and i'm honored to join you on this journey thank you again i'll see you in the next episode